Mundell, Chamberlain of All Ages, and Walter Payne Radio presents the greatest podcast in the world, the Marketex Samuel Plan, the Devil's Advocate Shinobi, the Lunatic King Maverick, and single syllable mother, the right side of the pond. And of course, if you're not down with that, we got two words for you. Sup, Lords of Pain, and welcome to the right side of the pond. It is Friday, and as it's coming towards the end of the year now, we're going to do our sort of annual uh, review of what went down in 2018. So, um, I guess a, a year overall, which has probably had uh, a lot of negativity in the sort of world of internet wrestling fans um, or, or podcast radio internet wrestling fans or whatever you want to call us. Um, it, it's, been a, it's been a strange year. And when you kind of look back at it, you know, there are some obvious sort of storylines that stand out. But so I guess what we're going to do is we're going to look at the positives, the negatives, the things that were good, the things that weren't so good, um, and just kind of try and uh, maybe take a small peek forward, but not too far, because, of course, we'll have a prediction show coming up for you in the, the new year. Um, so I've got a list of talking points here. Um, we don't have to stick to these exhaustively. We can kind of veer off in whatever direction the conversation takes us but I, I thought maybe we'd start with um women's wrestling um mostly because uh i guess we could argue that 2018 was the year that um wwe finally um i guess evolved um women's wrestling to the point they've been saying it had been at um for the previous three years since they did that famous segment on monday night raw so um I guess a good place to start would be the first ever women's Royal Rumble. Like reflecting back on that, like what do we think now? I think 2018 had been potentially a massive watershed moment, actually, because you know we're at a a stage in the company's history where they are um, so, and you know, I'm. I, I realise we're not even five minutes into this. So I'm bringing up part timers. I'm not going to get too much into that. But, <laughs> um, but we're, 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 you know, they're so reticent to commit to the contemporary generation of male wrestlers, and and obviously the the female performers aren't contending with that same issue, and so they've really been given chances and opportunities to sort of spread their wings a little bit, uh, in a way that the the male performers haven't. And I think that that is is in a in a in a weird way because obviously we don't want to be in the situation we're in with the male performers, but in a weird way, it's it's helped the women because they it means I think that they've had a, a a bigger opening to be able to go in and and to fill. And obviously, we've just ended the year with them closing out pay per view. I said, I've said throughout the year, I think there's three or four times they should have been closing out pay per views this year, and they didn't include in WrestleMania. Uh, and like you said, I mean Royal Rumble. I mean that was the show closer at Royal Rumble, I think as well. It was, yeah, it was. Yeah, it was. It was. So you, yeah. you started and ended 2018 with the women headlining pay per view. Um, and you know, I mean, you can you can maybe put a bit too much stock into that kind of thing, but I do think it means something. Um, and like you said, Mav, I mean, we've got to a point now where, and I, I wrote this in a column last Sunday. You know, we're not talking about revolutions or evolutions anymore. It doesn't feel like these are these are, you can put a tagline on this anymore. This is just now the new 
status quo and it feels very much like it you know if this if this upward trend continues it very well could be that in a couple of years time the women become the the sort of the preeminent uh, force on wwe tv if this you know if these issues they've got facing the their deployment of the male talent aren't resolved that is um yeah and, i mean and, and importantly as well i mean it's worth saying that it, the women have held up their end of the bargain the performances have been great as well it's not just wwe pushing it you know they they've justified the their their uh, uh positioning bingo that's exactly what i was actually going to say they haven't pushed it like they did early on you know it, it's not that the women weren't performing early on it's that they were you know they had they had the agenda and they were pushing yep. the agenda whereas this year everything has been natural you know um i mean we, we we've had the part-timers lurk you know when when we got the all-female pay-per-view and we had the female rumble oh, they yeah. drafted them in but you know they, they 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 played second fiddle you know and Obviously, I know that a lot of people were upset about Nikki Bella getting the, the shot at Rousey. I was fine with that because, you know, she's she was one on, on the way out, you should say. So she, she's been part of it. And I think, you know, for the for the All Women's Rumble and for the first All Women's Pay-Per-View, I think it was the right thing to give to give a nod to the, the you know, the ones that are, who have come before, whether they've done a great deal to actually help what what what's gone on ahead or not is is arguable all of them but you know i think that was the right thing to do but you know it's it's been natural you know becky's rise uh, in the second half of the year you know as plan said that that whole build to charlotte and asuka was was fantastic and could very well and probably should have headlined that wrestlemania it's there's been a lot of stuff going on and you know at points, they've been absolutely the best thing going on um, in the company. And, you know, I know Mav's not not a big fan, but Rousey's taken to it with some star power. You know, she's committed to the to the business. And um, while Mav is not the biggest fan, I, I think she's had a fantastic debut year, you know. And just, just across the board, it, it, it's been really, really good stuff from the women. And... You know, you still got the Natties and the, you know, Naomi's who, times uh, you just sit there and think, you know, they not really cutting the mustard these days, but they're still getting their their pushes. But you know, they're not. We're coming from a time where they would have been the top stars throughout the whole year, and they're not anymore. You know, we've got we've got ladies who are really, really doing a fantastic job and. I think really TLC just proved that with you know a fantastic main event from from the three women on SmackDown, and I think a really good match between Rousey and Jax as well. I think I think when I look at I look back at the year, I think obviously there's been moments where uh, you know the the booking of the women was was very very good. I think the climax of the Royal Rumble, I was very enthused by at the time. Like um, first of all, Asuka winning, she was still on her undefeated streak you know Asuka in books incredibly dominantly um in her NXT run and in her early main roster run um she won the Royal Rumble as I think I mean absolutely she was the right person to win that Royal Rumble so you know you had Nakamura win the men's one and and um and he, and he had 
uh, Asuka win the women's one and therefore you had two winners that people were very much on board with for the first time in you know a really really long time that, that people were kind of happy with the booking of the rumble um so that was that was fantastic and i think rouse's debut uh, in terms of how they structured it and and how they pulled it off i thought was 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 great pay-per-view television you know having her come out point the wrestlemania sign didn't know if she was talking to charlotte or Asuka, you know all that kind of stuff um I thought was um, was really really well done. Um, I think the Asuka v Charlotte match at, at WrestleMania was was a very good match. I think people maybe got a little bit carried away with the quality of it. I thought it was good. So I didn't think it was you know sort of knock it out of the park good. I bet it was certainly a, a good match. I think it probably needed five minutes. I wouldn't often say that. I wouldn't usually say a match needed more time. You know, I'm a less is more person, but I think that match was just getting warmed up nicely when they kind of finished it off. And of course, you then have the problem of Asuka um, from WrestleMania onwards really being treated like an afterthought. And, you know, of course, there's mitigating circumstances. Becky got as, as hot as she did um and you know then you had the survivor series thing where you know obviously most of the women are kind of a supporting cast in that you know by nature um but then to kind of bring it back to the end of the year then you you, you kind of have asked getting a surprise win against becky and charlotte ronda there and a bit of shared universe um on rousey i i don't think she's had a good year particularly in the ring um i don't i just don't really I can't really watch her matches without kind of thinking it's she's somebody I think that I know that I know that from the star power point of view, they couldn't very well, you know, stick her in developmental. But I, I think she needed it just in terms of things, things like, you know, emoting and facial expressions and consistency of character. I think there's a lot of work to do there. And I think, you know, the actual the actual ring work is a bit. You know, it's a bit kind of rough around the edges as well. So I, I think they've, I think they've got a way to travel with her, to be honest. And I'm not, I'm not the greatest fan. I'd rather, rather than spending all of that money on her, I'd much rather they'd, you know, simply spent a bit more time on people like Ember Moon and and so on and so forth. I do understand the commercial reasons for, you know, for going for Rousey in the same way as I do for Lesnar. But I think I enjoy Rousey not that much more than I enjoy Brock Lesnar, honestly. Well, I mean, that's fair enough. I mean, I think she's had some good matches. I, you know, I, I rated the um, Money in the Bank match she had with Nia Jax, which I thought was really good. I thought the Survivor Series match with Charlotte it was a bit scrappy, but you know, it kind of uh, added to the uh, to the appeal and the aesthetic of it. Uh, the, I mean, the tag team match at WrestleMania. I just recently rewatched that this last week, and it is an insane amount of fun to sit and sit and watch that back. Um, but ultimately, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about women's wrestling in general, and it, and it does, uh, and you know, as we all know, goes goes beyond the situation with with Ronda and her introduction, because you know, I mean, even uh, stuff in NXT has been great this year with uh, Kyrie Sane and, and Shayna Baszler, and that's, you know, that's the exciting thing is you look at the talent that they've got in NXT, sort of ready to make the move up. Uh, and Mazza, you've already commented on how, you know, towns like Carmella and Naomi don't really seem to cut the mustard anymore. Uh, and you think the more the more of these women that come through this this NXT system in this in this new world of women's wrestling, you know, after the change has been invoked, uh, how that's going to wean out or you would expect to wean out maybe some of the uh, less capable 
uh, talent in the ring. But it's been a very exciting and, and long, uh, a very hard-earned year for the women. I think Evolution was one of the best pay-per-views of the year, just for in terms of uh, end-to-end quality. It helps that it was produced a little bit differently to a standard WWE pay-per-view. Obviously, Becky Lynch comes out of the year really the hottest thing in the company. Charlotte has had an incredible year. People don't seem to, to want to talk about that a great deal, and I have to disagree with Mav on the Asuka match. I think uh, the WrestleMania match is is genuinely phenomenal, and I, again, re-watched that just this last week, uh, and I thought it was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I mean, ultimately, the take-home is that the, you know, that the women are, are now... Charlotte said it herself in an interview recently, uh, which is that, you know, the women have just obviously closed out TLC and it would, wasn't too long ago. It might, you know, even uh, as recently as last year, there may have been a lot of conversation about how the women have been, quote, unquote, allowed to close out pay-per-view again. It happened at Royal Rumble. It happened uh, at TLC and nobody batted an eyelid at TLC. It was just accepted. And that's when you know that you've arrived at the new... Uh, the post-revolution, post-evolution world. It's going to be frustrating when WWE continue to revise their own history and pretend that this was like some some decades-long process that never was met with any hiccups, as Mazza was intimating, because we all know that's not what happened. Um, but, you know, it's WWE. They play fast and loose with their history all the time, so we can't be too shocked. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's it. I think, you know, the proof's in the pudding. There are three or four genuine match of the year contenders from the main roster ladies, you know, this year. And it, you know, for me, it, it it probably will be one of them, to be honest. I think the point you make, Plan, about the NXT um, women's matches, I think, is a very well made one because, I mean, I think the Baszler Sane series is 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 far and away better than anything that happened on the main roster, um, but maybe perhaps bar some of the Becky. Um, Charlotte matches, but I think I think the same base the matches were absolutely fantastic. Um, now I've not actually seen um, the May Young uh, classic except for um, the final that they had on Evolution. So yeah, I mean, I, but again, it's 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 the second year of that. So again, that's another thing that shows that the women yes. are on on the rise. Um, yeah, some excellent matches in there. Yeah, and of course you've also got. Um, NXT UK, um, you know, just crowned uh, Rhea Ripley as their um, women's title holder. Uh, and actually, the, the, the Ripley-Tony Storm match was, was a lot of fun there. Um, was that a rematch for the Mae Young Classic or not? No. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly, I think, a healthy place. When you look at what they did with Sasha and Charlotte in, in 2016, you know, where they kind of forced... A little bit, the main event of the of the cell. Um, a little bit. I mean, I think in fairness, yeah. I, I think in fairness, they, you know, Charlotte and Sasha did have a fuse that, that. I mean, I wasn't um, massively into it myself, but you know, there's no denying the larger part of the wrestling audience was very into it. So, I mean, I think it was a little forced. I wouldn't go so far as to say it was, you know, it was terribly forced or anything. I think um, it came just that little bit early, but. But yeah, I think I think the uh, the TLC match on uh, on Sunday, I think yeah, it was quite a natural fit um, as the headliner. It's just a shame that it, you know, obviously when we previewed this last week, we didn't expect the show to go four hours. Do you know what well, I mean? Like you know, and I you know, and I sort of, um, I mean, I watched it on Monday after work, so I did 
get to forward all of the sort of endless WWE Network adverts which are on it, which, by the way, like, they've really increased in the last year or so, haven't they? Um, but, uh, yeah, even with that, it was still... Adverts on the network. Yeah, it was, it was like three and a half, probably at three and a half with fast-forwarding some bits, but I did feel quite exhausted by the time I got to that match. I think maybe it's one of those ones I'd like to watch again in isolation just because the fact that, you know... It's exhausting to watch these four-hour pay-per-views all the time. It's almost better not to headline in a way. Well, yeah, I mean, and I think my boy Seth's come and stuck with that a couple of times as well, incidentally. But uh, I, I, four hours is ridiculous for a TLC pay-per-view. And what I said on Aston Shock with Steve, you look down, I don't know how accurate the Wikipedia listings are, but I always use them as a guide. And, I mean, the Baron Corbin thing took 15 minutes unbelievably and it, i mean watching it you felt i felt like it was re- kept relatively brief but when you think it took them 15 minutes to do that and you think you know the the natty match was 50 it was was 12 like 12 minutes long or something they they've really lost the art of being able to just put on like five or six minute matches on pay-per-view undercards and, and to get something out of them i don't understand why all of these kind of filler feuds have to end up with with 12 to 15 minute pay-per-view time because that's what's that's what's making these pay-per-views four or five hours long, is the fact that all of a sudden they've decided a they need to get absolutely everybody on every card, which is a ludicrous system to have, uh, and b that when they do get everyone on every card, they've got to give everyone ten to fifteen minutes instead of just keeping it short and brief, and that was that was the success they had with SummerSlam, and I've, I've banged on about this relentlessly since was that there was stuff on that card that was kept very 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 brief. Uh, and so they gave the time to, on the pay-per-view to the stuff people were interested in, which let, you know, Seth and Dolph have a great match and Brian and Miz have a great match and AJ and Joe have a great match. Uh, and everything else was was kept, you know, uh, to an appropriate time. And if they, if they can capture that and deploy that for every pay-per-view, then, I, you know, even if they wanted to have every pay-per-view for us, I don't think it would necessarily be that much of a problem. But it's, it's WWE, so they can't, for, for whatever reason, they can't bring themselves to do that. Yeah, it's, it's 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 one of those silly things, isn't it, with with, with WWE that um, you know Rey Mysterio and Randy Orton um, wrestling on a pay per view. Like, why do we need to see that? Like, you know, in, yeah, a, exactly. in a in a chairs match. Like when you said there were things in that card that could have been kept short because people weren't interested. Well, I mean, I think that's like number one on the list, isn't it? Like, uh, who wanted to see that match? Um, yeah, I mean, well, that's seriously that was- like Rye. That was yeah. that was that was my reaction when I was actually sat watching it on the night. Was it's 2018? It was about to be 2019, and I'm sat watching Randy Orton versus Rey Mysterio in a chairs match. Like, why am I supposed to be caring about this? Let's see Dominic wrestle it instead, for fuck's sake. Oh, he is training, so uh, let's yeah. uh, <laughs> let, let's let's hope to see Dominic. Although soon. I do I do have to say a little, little touch on you know uh, we'll see how long it lasts. I I did like. You know, and I know there's a lot of people saying, oh, McMahon's on TV again. Oh, the ratings have gone up. They're going to be all over the product. What I did like is, you know, what I felt. I, I felt they're playing off the reality of it in Kefabe a little bit, but they are paying attention because this week there was a very noticeable move towards, you know, guys that have been underutilised and, you know, getting some time, particularly guys that have shown to be popular and, people have liked uh, coming back onto TV and, you know, less emphasis on, you know, Mysterio versus Orton, which I think hopefully that's not just a Christmas gift to us and hoping (laughs) we'll get some back in and in. 
Yeah, I think it's. I mean, I can totally understand and, and absolutely empathise with uh, the cynicism of, of fans when you know they talk about big changes in results in the McMahon saying they're taking back control of the TV shows, and you kind of groan and go, "For God's sake, you've you know you've totally missed the point." And you know, I and I empathise with that, and I, and I harbour a degree of that cynicism myself, you know, because it's WWE. We've been burnt that many times that at this point you expect the worst. If you get anything else, then it's a boon. But at the same time. You know, there, like you said, Maz, there, there was, there were definite signs of, um, of a positive change. I mean, ultimately, I'm, before I go any further, I will say that I am of the opinion, uh, and I've tweeted as such that you know nothing's really going to change until they have a genuine cultural shift backstage in terms of how they write and produce shows. Um, but uh, that aside, you know, what what change we can get on TV. I mean, there were there were things like I felt like the the TV was was orientated much more towards uh, action and and just having uh, a lot more matches and and a little less of the sort of the um, bullshit segments a little bit, um, not to any massive degree, but I felt like I, I noticed that anyway. Uh, you know, they they obviously they've deployed Mustafa Ali on SmackDown Live, which is a positive sign for two reasons. First of all, as you've just said, Maz, they're you know they're they're showing that they are aware of who has captured the imagination and interest of fans and are prepared to put those people in positions where they can succeed. Um, but secondly, as well, it, it may just be the sign that the company apparently needs that 205 Live talents can do more than just be on 205 Live and that they can they can contribute more to TV and, and to programming. So hopefully that's maybe going to break down a bit of a barrier. You know, they've recently put the time, I mean, it goes, it predates this last week, but they recently put the title on Daniel Bryan. They've given him time to be able to develop a character and cut promos and stuff in what has felt like a slightly less scripted manner and even even little things like um you know i think there was a backstage segment where one of the man said that automatic championship rematches were were an outdated yeah, idea Shane, yeah. and stuff and and you, you listen to that and you think okay well you know give it a month and they'll be back to their old tricks again but if they're if you know if they're genuine about it and that's something they stick to like that could be a massive positive as tiny a thing as it seems like how many times have they found themselves trapped in these four or five pay-per-view cycles because titles are being traded back and forth and you've got to write the rematch? You know, if they can get rid of that altogether, like that's a major advantage right off the bat. So there's been, while I, I myself harbour a certain degree of cynicism and I understand and empathise with others who harbour a great deal more of it, like you said, Maz, I think there were there were some signals this last week that maybe they might be serious about doing something that's going to feel like an overhaul of, of the product. Because lest we forget, it's not just 2018 that's been receiving a, a negative reaction from fans in terms of the TVs. Um, it's, you know, it's been, it's seen the TV ratings drop to an all time low and so forth, but this has been, this has been, or the last few weeks have felt like the climax of a, a very long running trend that goes back a year, two years. Uh, and finally they might be, you know, they might be looking to, to address it. Uh, even if, even if the same problems are going to creep back up because they haven't changed anything backstage, you know it doesn't matter. As long as the TV can feel a bit fresh, that's that's I'll settle for that right now. I tell you what, I did. I have wondered this week: is it WWE, you know, actually listening to the fans a bit more, or do you think it's Vince giving Triple H a little bit more, a little bit more room to to make some more decisions up top? I, I'm not sure, but I would hope it's a bit of both. Uh, in the be nice. That, in the sense that I hope that it's Vince, so it's, it seems like an absolutely impossible thing. But um, 
you know, you would hope that they're looking at the situation. With, with, you know, they've recognized in, we've seen reports of the sort of conference calls they do, they recognize that live show attendances are dropping and they need to do something to rejuvenate that. They've obviously openly recognized that TV ratings are at an all-time low. Um, they've just signed this massive deal with Fox, haven't they? So they're going to want to make sure they go into that with a with a healthy-looking TV product beyond anything else. So even though the company is more profitable, they, they, they've shown signs that they openly recognize their issues. And I would hope, um, I mean, just something nobody talked about at the time. I saw Mav mentioned it on Twitter and I wrote about it in the column was the fact that more people watch TakeOver than they did Survivor Series. Like if really? that's not if that's yeah. not a wake-up call to Vince. Wow. Then I then I then I don't know what is so hopefully maybe this whole is that just on the network over, yeah, uh, yeah on the network yeah I, I imagine their pay per views are pretty negligible nowadays aren't they maybe some countries don't have the network but I don't think there are many yeah and I wouldn't imagine that it's a massive informant into into you know anything really anymore but but yeah I mean hopefully all these this mix of events over the last couple of months may have been sort of giving Vince a bit of a push towards saying okay well I'm still in control but let's have trips have a bit more like you say Maz, have a bit more of an influence on things because obviously everything that he's taken over has generally started to do very well nxt's done brilliantly obviously speaks for itself they've just launched nxt uk which has been doing well until five live has turned a bit of a corner this year as well since he took over i think you know we've seen to you know sort of segue a little bit into um you know the sort of structural problems with the wwe product at the moment and and you know, I think I think you know to sort of add to the discussion. Um, I mean, I I was cynical about what happened on on Monday in the sense that one of the problems plan that you and I in particular have often identified is this extremely um, clogged talent pool that yes. they have, and of course they immediately, as part sure. of this um, new broom of change, promote the six least interesting people on the NXT <laughs> roster. Um, you know, as, as Imp pointed out, it looks like an actual WWE 2K DLC pack, like <laughs> yeah, the artwork on it and stuff. Um, so I wasn't thrilled with that. I'm definitely not thrilled with their new uh, their, their new attitude towards programming, meaning that Natty gets a title shot against <laughs> against Ronda Rousey. I knew it was going that way as soon as they booked that Ruby Riot thing with the anvil table and stuff. But I mean, good God. Um, so it's a bit like it's always been this way, I think, since about 2015 that, you know, they take a couple of steps forward, you know, for example, getting, um, you know, CN and, and, and Mustafa Ali in a in a main event with uh, with Brian and Styles and having those guys rub shoulders. Um, and then they'll take a few step backwards like like that. So I think I'm yet to be convinced that a three hour roar is going to be watchable, for example, I think SmackDown you know may pick up a little bit but also this you know we said this again last week plan what was needed wasn't the McMahons to inverted commas take back control I appreciate what they're trying to do creatively with the storylines to say uh, we'll, we'll bring back a bit of reality here and say oh no McMahons let these general managers get too crazy we're going to rein it all back in well, I mean fair enough they try to make a story out of it and I applaud them for that but I think what was needed as we said was was your Jack Tunney or your Gorilla Monsoon? Like, let's stop with the authority figures, you know? Um, I've seen a lot of people, I think, primetime, um, most prominently on Twitter, sort of saying that what might help is to actually start doing things a little bit more like, um, you know, listing matches more in advance and sort of trying to hype the TVs up. 
uh, rather than having all this and this match starts right now stuff that they've been doing for the last however long you know if you if you can say next week on SmackDown we've got a you know we got this we got this tag match going on or we got you know this uh, new person taking on this you know then it makes a big difference the reason why Mustafa Ali made such a splash last week was because and I saw somebody else compare it so I can't remember who compared it might have even been Cena himself said it was like Cena and Kurt Angle you know it had that kind of feel to it it was Angle yeah um so I think that's why it got people excited um so if you can keep your surprise segments like that but then also plan in some stuff that you know people want to see then I think that's when TV starts to make some incremental improvements but you know I think Sorry, Mav. I, I was just going to say, you know, the the the, the pre-announcing matches, and we've banged on about this a lot in the past. You know, it used to be part of the course. It, <clears throat> you go back and, and watch Raw in in the first few years of its existence. They did it every single week. You know, at the end of every episode, it'd be next week. You know, Razor Ramon wrestles the one, two, three kid. Ted DiBiase wrestles, you know, whoever, and Bret Hart wrestles uh, the British Bulldog or whatever. Uh, and they do that ahead of time, so you knew. Before even that week's episode of Raw was over, you knew what you were going to be getting next week. And like you say, that can only help, particularly in this day and age where so much of what fans get excited about tends to be rooted very much in cults of personality. So it's about rather than what's going on, it tends to be more about who's involved and, and that sort of thing, I find. So, it, you know, that just the, the culture of the fan base, I think, would take to that a little bit more. But that's what I was saying earlier. You know, the, the unless you get a pretty extensive cultural overhaul backstage. There's only ever going to be so much you can, you know, you can do on screen to really change, change things. And it's just, it's, you know, they, they tweak that and they think with that and it refreshes it for a little while. Um, but I feel so um, burnt out with the lackluster of, of, of everything that I will happily just take a few tweaks for the time being. Um, if it just means that I can, you know, I can get a little bit more excited about things for a short while. But, you know, I mean, the, the stuff that you talk about, man, all obviously great ideas. Uh, we know, of course, that it's it, that they're, they're not going to toy with anything um, sort of major uh, until Vince steps away. I mean, that's 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 become the be all end all of the conversation, hasn't it? Is yeah, for sure. Vince needs to just move move away from controlling things because while because it's it's been it's become increasingly evident um, that that he whatever it was that allowed him to succeed in the past just isn't there anymore. Well, we've seen it. I mean, it's funny enough we've seen it this week in in, in real life in real life sport. You know, like Jose Mourinho gets sacked by Man United. Um, he has seemed for at least two years now to be completely out of touch with. You know, with the way that modern football is moving and the way that modern dressing rooms are and the way he relates to players. And, you know, there's a bit of an analogy there for Vince, I think, you know, like what worked for him in, you know, in the the 90s and the early 2000s. I think for a long time, I mean, even really since the beginning of the Cena era, there's been, you know, severe issues. And of course, it's been mitigated at times by sort of boom periods the cm punk stuff for example there's a reason why the cm punk daniel bryan stuff felt revolutionary because it had been it had been flatlining to that point and they kind of got lucky with that stuff and again they've got a bit they got a bit they got a bit lucky with becky as well this time around um i think uh did you see that interview with um one of vince's old writers Yes. And there was a quote in it that really stood out to me, which was when they hired me, 
I knew what the problem was. The problem was, as they told me when they hired me, that really there's only one writer, and that's Vince. So, you know, you've got all of these writers, and I know that they've got a lot of stick over the last couple of years, but, you know, it's becoming increasingly apparent that often they'll write an entire Raw, and then Vince will, at the last minute, rewrite the whole thing himself. So they're basically getting paid to write stuff that never airs, which is, you know, really bizarre really when you think about it in that sense. It Absolutely, you know, and I mean that 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 article, the the writer made a you know a hell of a lot of many very very good suggestions that I was sort of sat nodding in agreement with. I didn't agree with all of them, but stuff like having a showrunner, you know, which is employed across TV, you know, I mean big big television series will will often have a you think about Game of Thrones or you know Doctor Who or any of these sort of cultural phenomena TV shows that are that are global in their appeal. They always have a, a, a showrunner who oversees everything. You know, you think about, you know, the Marvel films, you think about the Star Wars films, they have, I don't know what the title is, but they have particular people in place to make sure that the continuity is is maintained and adhered to and that stuff that has happened in the past. Because you are dealing with massive, expansive, creative universes that have passionate fan bases. And it's stuff like that that WWE should be taking, I believe, a cue from. You know, because they are ultimately, we, I mean, how many times have we banged on about it on this show? They're ultimately dealing with a shared creative universe, and they've been doing this for longer than anybody in Hollywood's been doing it. You know, but they, and yet they, they don't, they don't. So maybe, I mean, maybe that's the role that, well, perhaps Vince is the least suited person for it. But, the, you know, they need, they need somebody to oversee the whole thing to make sure the continuity gets stuck to and that things don't feel quite so incidental. That was one big tick in the box for me that I think would, would really start to help shape things and he suggested you know maybe have specific writers for either levels of the roster or for specific characters or, or whatever and all this sort of stuff you know I was sat there going yeah fine great because the crazy thing is you know you're talking about a company that like you just said you know they say that it's got one writer and yet to watch the TV show you would think that this was a situation like we always hear was the case with WCW where nobody's really in charge and nobody knows what's going on because that's how the TV watches sometimes. And, of course, the reason it watches that way is because Vince is rewriting them, you know, at the nth hour. I mean, you start you start making a movie without a script. Nine times out of ten, the movie ends up sucking. There's a reason for it, you know, and, and it strikes me as a similar situation as that. Well, in some ways, there's too much structure. And in some ways, there's not enough. But that's the irony of it, isn't it? It's like well, um, quite, yeah. it's like uh, typed out promos for wrestlers, but at the same time, Amazing. nobody knows what's going to happen to the show until you know three hours before it airs. So you've and got this sort of bizarre juxtaposition. Like yeah, it really does. <laughs> it's, it's. I mean, did you see the interview that Daniel Bryan did on some live stream um, just before TLC, where he kind of interrupted? Uh, oh yeah, Mike Roman and. Uh, What's her face? Who does the online stuff? Um, and uh, you know, he caught a, an incredible promo about being, you know, championing his match with AJ Styles. And obviously, that wasn't something that had been scripted. I mean, that, you know, we, we fans talk about it so much it threatens to almost become a cliche point. But absolutely, scripted promos are, are obviously terrible idea. Um, and and you think, and this is what I've said in the, you know, in the past as well. You think about this generation of talent and everything that they've achieved while they've been contending with a set of disadvantages no other generation of talent has had to contend with and look at what they've still achieved, you take those restrictions away and think about what they could then achieve 
is is actually quite mind blowing and and uh, you know it's it's a source of frustration that they won't even they won't even loosen that up. And that's it, you know. It's like we discussed; they're not all going to excel with that. But you know, let the ones that will excel excel with that. That's why you have yeah. That's why you have you know. And if if people want to get better at it. They'll do exactly what they do when they want to get better in the ring. They'll take their own time out. They'll head down to the the PC, this fantastic facility where people practice promos so they can go up top and read a script. You tell yeah. me what that's all about. Yeah, it's bizarre, well, isn't it? Right. And, and that, I mean, that as well um, sort of hints at something else that I've always been, and Mav, you and I were obviously dead set against this brand extension from before it even got reinstigated. Mm-hmm. Uh, and one of the reasons is that I think WWE benefits most when it does force talent into a bottleneck so that only the very best end up getting onto shows. And I, I don't believe in this culture, this seven hour WrestleMania culture where everybody has to have a match. You know, if you want to. Well, the irony is they don't anyway, do they? They just lock the matches. But, you know, the, the point being, obviously, that, you know, I, I believe that if, you know, if, if wrestlers want to be on a WrestleMania or pay-per-view card, they ought to make sure that they're excelling and standing out. And, you know, it's that kind of culture we're told is what made the Attitude Era so great and so on and so forth. And it's what made the situation so great, you know, in the post-punk world and the post-Brian world for that period of time where TV was golden again because it was one roster and it was bottlenecking talent and only the hottest talent got to be somewhere. And, and that's just what I'm you know, believe in. And that would help as well, I think, um, start to alleviate this strain that it's got on, that the talent pool's got at the minute, which is, you know, I mean, the whole talent economy of the company is broken. And a large reason for that is because of the success of NXT and WWE's refusal to address that that situation and the relationship between their main roster and NXT has changed from what it was when NXT first got created. They haven't addressed that, and so you've got this system that's pumping more and more and more and more and more talent into the main roster, constantly getting replenished in NXT so that that can survive and continue to thrive. Um, and so that it just strikes me that whole economy, you know, it's it's you, you you're throwing more and more people on the boat and nobody's getting off. So I mean, the boat's just slowly going to start to sink. I think you know what I'm reminded of actually as you as you say that, and we'll you know again, there's a good segue plan into kind of talking about that kind of relationship between the subsidiary products and and the main roster, which I think is another big thing you know that came up over the year. And and you know the original plan after the invasion, or sorry, before before the invasion happened, the original plan had been they were going to keep the WCW brand alive. Yeah. And it was just simply going to be run. You know, they were going to keep the talent, as much talent as they wanted to keep, and they were going to run that show. Um, and then for whatever reason, they, they changed their minds on that. I think they put some WCW talent on WWE TV um, early doors, and, and then, you know, sort of the match didn't go over well and stuff. So they came up with this alternative idea of an invasion, and then, of course, after the invasion, they had this, this, big, um, this big swell of talent, and they... Of course, in the end, decide to split the roster after WrestleMania 18. Um, and I think when you look at, at NXT, increasingly, as we've talked about before, has felt like its own brand um, for a long time now. And it has its own feel and its own, um, I guess, its own history now. You know, like now when people talk about 
longest reigning NXT champion or, or things of that sort, it means something because it's obviously got a, you know, we're, we're getting on for what, seven years of history, eight years of history. Um, so I think, I think from that point of view, it would you know, really do my favour to keep the likes of Alistair Black and Johnny Gargano and those top guys and, you know, sort of uh, Champer and so on, keep them down there, you know, send all, you know, send all mass back, send Breeze back, like send some people back even and beef, beef that up and really just make it because it's obviously so successful anyway that, you know, why, why fight against that? Do you know what I mean? I, I just think, and as you say as well, the, the main roster is well overdue a pruning, you know, it's like, let's, let's say goodbye to the Curtis Axels and, you know, and the, uh, Titus O'Neill's of this world, because just, as you said earlier on, Maz, with um, some of the female talents like Alicia Fox that just don't don't seem to fit anymore. Um, I think that's very much the case um, for the for the male roster on the main roster too. It's like if you, if you have Almas, do you need Randy Orton? I know it'd be a bold thing to do, but why not release I mean, Randy that's, Orton? That's, <laughs> that, I mean, that, well, this is the thing, isn't it? This is this is this. Let's is get it trending. Hashtag release Randy Orton. <laughs> this is the, the absolutely batshit situation, batshit insane situation that we're in, isn't it? Is that they've got more talent than they've ever had. They continue to sign talent, hot talent off of the indie scene at a rate of knots. It feels like the minute, I mean, they're, they're signing people so fast now that half of them, I, you know, it used to be that I'd kind of heard of everybody that they'd signed, even if I didn't sort of know their work or anything that I'd, I'd, you know, seen the names banded about. Now they're signing people who are apparently only just beginning to get hot on the indie circuit. I've never even heard of them, you know, and, and partly that's me because I'm in a WWE bubble. But like I say, it used to be that at least you'd heard rumblings of names. Um, but they've, they've gotten so frenzied with signing people into NXT. And yet, in spite of all of this, they still go, oh, yeah, but we need to have, you know, Triple H wrestle at WrestleMania. We need to have The Undertaker wrestle at WrestleMania. We need to have John Cena come back for the odd appearance. And we need to have Randy Orton still and Rey Mysterio. Let's re-sign him. Oh, we'll re-sign the Hardy Boys. Let's bring Bobby Lashley back. I mean, Jesus Christ, how that's worked out for you we'll bring him back, you know, and we'll have Shelton Benjamin, he'll do, and it's like, so what do you want? What's, you know, you're signing more new talent than you've ever signed in the past, and you're still bringing in back old talent, and you're not using any of them, because then you bring in Triple H, and you bring in Undertaker, and you bring in Shawn Michaels, and you bring in all these other old dudes to cover it, so that's, you know, like I said, the entire economy of it is just upside down, inside out, and like you say, Maz, uh, Mav, you know, NXT has been its own brand now for the longest time. When you're in a situation where, like I said earlier, more people watching TakeOver than they are main roster pay-per-views, it's pretty evident at that point that NXT is no longer a developmental system because more fans are watching people in development than are watching people who are supposedly developed. So suddenly, you know, you've got to, you've got to look at that and you've got to reassess the relationship, allow NXT to become its own thing, and then reinstitute a different you know, a different developmental system because it cannot continue to be both because it's just going to keep keep this unbalanced uh, talent economy in place and that's ultimately going to, going to break something, you know, and it, and it feeds into as well another issue that we've talked about in the past, which is a lot of characters go through NXT. They, they have an incredible time in NXT, an incredible run. They go through an incredible character arc. By the time they get to the main roster, there's nothing left for the character to do anymore. There's nowhere left for the character to go. Because it's it's everything you know you've plumbed the depths during the time in NXT and everyone's watching that then so you can't just repeat it 
So that would help as well. Like you say, send Breeze back uh, and, and you can you can siphon off. I mean, having three brands is not something that I would ever advocate, but because more isn't more. But, you know, if it's going to help at least try and balance out some of the, the use of talent at the minute, then go for it. You know, I, you know, they could easily make NXT another two hour show. Um, get a TV. I mean, as hot as it is, one wonders why they haven't yet managed to strike a TV deal for it. Well, I think, I mean, from our point of view, if we're paying nine ninety nine for the network every week, I think you know, or every week, every month, as <laughs> I jinx it. Um, I, I think, I think that um, it does behoove WWE to, you know keep some perks on there and i think nxt nxt uk sure. 205 live you know because actually like you know for us in particular it's such a it's such a pain to have to you know not watch raw and smackdown live and then obviously you've got these options of all well, you know you can record it on your set top box or you can um or you can watch the youtube highlights or you can find the torrent site or you know any of those kind of ways of watching and either way it's a hassle like i think sooner or later and i know the tv paid them a shed load of money but i honestly would pay i would happily pay 20 quid for the network if they just stuck raw and smackdown on there i mean, it'd make everyone's life a million times easier and probably improve the quality as well isn't that what they want long so obviously the financials is an issue but you know that the problem is yeah if they do that they don't have that advert you know i mean you know ron smackdown's an advert right now for the network essentially isn't it as well as well as the other source of income you know if if everything goes on the network it will be you know will they get new viewers how easy would it be to get new viewers well that's it that's that's the mean that's the problem they've got isn't it it's like if you put it on the network unless i mean i guess they do have the free month but i mean yeah how do you get your product out there unless you do some sort of bingo i mean there's pro- pro- probably lots of similar things that offer free months which i'll never know because i'm not interested you know? yeah that's the thing and i guess what they could do maybe is they could have a show like sunday night heat you know like sunday night heat was readily available i mean it, over here it showed on channel four for example um and i guess in america it was an mtv so i, I think maybe that's an option in, in the future to kind of have like yeah, your, sure. ma- your main events of the world with maybe like because what sunday night heats do really well is it, it would recap that week's raw and smackdown through highlight clips and then you have a few matches a couple of promos or whatever and then you know so actually there were times you know when i was at uni and stuff where i would watch sunday night heat and that's what kept me in up to date with what was going on um so i guess they've always got that kind of option okay. yeah um, if I, see where they go if I had my way, all TV would just be one hour long. Oh yeah, I mean, I mean, in an ideal world, I mean, the three-hour thing's got to stop. Um, it's got, How it's got to go. About fifteen brands, and they're all an hour long. <laughs> well, I mean, that's you, you. You say that. That's another thing. I think that's another thing that this writer that we were talking about earlier was suggesting was, you know, he said not quite so much that, but he said you've got a three-hour raw. You know, just treat each hour like its own separate separate show essentially and write it that way but you know listen if if i mean you you're not dealing with you wouldn't be dealing with any greater degree of talent you know you wouldn't you'd have to separate them out a bit more but there's got to be something they can do i mean i never really understood 
why they didn't do 205 live actually live before Monday Night Raw as the third hour, then have a two-hour Raw and a two-hour SmackDown the next night. Like, I don't get that seemed, especially because 205 Live started as a part of the Raw roster. It was mad, wasn't it? It, it was, was just so bizarre, yeah. Like, who thought that out? Terrible idea, absolutely. Yeah, no, agrees, agrees. Um, it's, so... a two, it, it's a, it's a one-hour live show, part of the Raw roster that's taped after SmackDown. Great. <laughs> And there's all that all that stuff online you always see about people um, like people leaving early and stuff like that. And I don't know, like, is the SmackDown audience significantly more kids? Like, I've seen that reported before that that's why they all go home because they're kids and they got to go to bed. But I don't know how true that is. But it's not the main event, you know. You don't buy tickets to SmackDown for 205 Live, so you know it's like you wouldn't. You know, if you, if you paid money to go and see a band, you wouldn't, you know, stay afterwards to watch the opening act, would you? Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, that's that's the, that's the thing, and especially when, especially if you've paid. A, a, I mean, they're not cheap tickets to the TVs, and and at least not in this country anyway. And if you forked out that money to go and see SmackDown, especially if the SmackDown then isn't that great, you're not going to stick around to watch two or five live. Um, no, unless you're, you, you know, you're a diehard and you love Mustafa Ali, you know. Well, quite. So it was. Well, I, Cedric's in the main event, and then you have. At least I'm going home anyway. Quite, yeah. Um, but I mean, it's a thing of the past, isn't it? They've they've changed it now that I think it's recorded before SmackDown now, which was always the best thing to do anyway. Um, and Two Five Live has been doing doing good things all year, even if it could have been doing a lot better. Had they not put the title on Cedric Bloody Alexander. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that. It's one of those things. It depends what you want. If you want a quality wrestling program, it's that. You know, it's just not got a groundswell of support. You know, and that that that's where 205 Live struggled. Well, but, the, but, uh, yeah, but the but the problem they care that they're a support act for the for for the SmackDown roster at the moment, and they you know they're a network show of their own. So do they really care? The, the problem is that, you know, Cedric Alexander isn't the kind of guy who's going to be able to break down the barriers that needed to be broken down this year. 205 Live's done really well to garner more of a reputation, get more people talking about it. But the reason more people are talking about it is because of Mustafa Ali. It's not because of Cedric Alexander, who's gone out there and wrestled decent matches with folks, you know, but has, you know, the the, the only Cruiserweight title matches on pay-per-view all year have been resigned to the pre-show. The one time it wasn't resigned to the pre-show was when it was Mustafa Ali challenging it and it was on the main pay-per-view. And now that guy's been moved through to SmackDown Live. Now, if you imagine that same series of events and all the great matches he's wrestled all year and all the buzz around him, but he was champion, then all of a sudden that takes on a slightly different meaning, a slightly bigger meaning. And if the Cruiserweight champion made that jump from 205 Live, lost the title, moved up to SmackDown Live, then suddenly what feels like a weird one-off situation because of one guy's advantages feels like perhaps the establishment of a new formula, which is if you tear it down as Cruiserweight champ, you get promoted to one of the main shows. So the point is that I'm trying to make is that by having that title on Alexander, 205 Live stalled, in a year when it could have been growing exponentially and it was because they put the championship on the wrong guy back at Wrestlemania so let's let's kind of have a little look we talked about 205 Live we talked about NXT um, let's have a look at NXT UK which is an interesting experiment I guess from the point of view I mean it's interesting to us of course because you know uh, we are from the UK um, but also I think because this idea about having a satellite promotion in another country is completely new ground for them. Um, 
And we talked at the time as if maybe if this works as well as they think it's going to work, they might try it in other locations as well, like have an, an NXT Mexico or a, you know, or, or an, already, there's already talk of doing one in Germany, I think. Well, there you go. I mean, it, it, it makes a lot of sense to sort of, because they don't have NXT proper as the developmental system that it used to be. Um, it maybe makes sense for them to, um, you know, to kind of start using these territories. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, ironically, you know, Vince, yeah, kill the territories, then bring them back. Classic Vince. Um, but it is, it has been interesting, and I think again, as we were talking about two hundred five live and the champions and stuff a minute ago, because they've got Pete Dunne, they've got such, they've got such a kind of a strong and and, and over champion, and the top tier of their talent they've established well on that roster over the last two years. We know who those guys are. It's Seven and Wolfgang and so on and so forth. And what that means is they they can now take their time in building up the uh, the newer guys that they're sort of showing to us. So I think it's been an outrageous success overall. I haven't had a chance to watch a lot of NXT UK. I think I've only seen the first two episodes still. Um, so I haven't really been, been keeping up with a great deal of it. But I mean, I, I can speak from a more general perspective. Obviously, they had the UK top second UK tournament this last summer that I thought was was general. The first night was really good. I wasn't so sure on the second night when they sort of loaded it up with, you know, kind of uh, you know NXT title matches and stuff. Um, but I think you're absolutely bang on, Mav. The way it's been, I, my understanding is that maybe there was some some uh, roadblocks that they weren't expecting, which is why it took quite so long for the NXT UK TV show to come around. But I think in, if that's true it's really played in their favour because, as you say, the the way they've been able to do like intermittent shows with their UK talent over the last couple of years since the first Tony in January 2017 has allowed people to develop a familiarity and an awareness of who these guys are before you really get to sink your teeth into you know, week-to-week stuff. Uh, and I think, as you've covered in the past, Mav, as well, from what I have seen in NXT UK, it's such a refreshing experience not just because you've got the one-hour TV and you're replicating the success of NXT US, but just like the visuals and, and being held in, in different, you know, in venues in this country which have a slightly different air about them than venues in America and stuff, the whole thing just feels different and, and refreshing. And it's so cool for the UK fans, you know, who I, I always say, it's not easy being a WWE fan in the UK in terms of getting access to the product because, you know, I mean, I have to stay up till 4 a.m. just to watch a pay-per-view. You know, the idea of being able to watch a pay-per-view at 7 p.m. at night is, like, blissful. Um, so it's it's nice for us as a fan base to get something specifically for us as a fan base. I also find it interesting what you were saying as well there um, about not having NXT as a developmental system anymore. Maybe this is the new system. Maybe you do graduate NXT US to being a fully-fledged brand and that the, the national territory has become the feeder system instead. Sure. What, what becomes the US feeder system, though? Oh, uh, good point. Oh, well, well, it's interesting, though, isn't the it? Because, yeah, well, they're, <laughs> what, what they're trying to do yeah. with, with, with NXT UK in particular, I think, is to replicate um, is to replicate the indie circuit a little bit. Um, I know there's been a lot of controversy about like, oh, are they sucking up all the best UK talent and what's going to do to UK promotions and all the rest of it. And as Pete Dunne rightly said, like, you know, he wrestled on that circuit for a decade. Like he's given those companies an unbelievable amount of service and the point for almost any wrestler, um, you know, unless they are very stubborn 
um, is is to eventually end up on WWE because that's you know it's where you're going to make life changing amounts of money even if you're at the bottom of their roster. Um, and so, it's where you get the most exposure. Yeah, absolutely. And more importantly, we're not talking about you know I, I know some people have a th- affinity a certain promotions for a certain uh, to a certain extent, but sh- surely you know what we care about is British wrestlers getting a showcase and that's what they're getting, you know? So whether it's WWE or, you know, whoever or whatever, or a combination of all of them, you know, surely that that's the good thing. You know, what you're, what you're getting is more exposure for British talent. You know, surely that's more important than whether some, you know, two bit promoter goes out of business because some big boys have come into town and they can't hang. I mean, there's always going to be this culture of, of, especially in the IWC, of WWE is the big, mean, corporate bad guy, you know, who's out to crush all, all of all of pro wrestling. It's a narrative that has been created and, and stuck to for, for many years. And there may be a kernel of truth in that. But at the same time, people fail to recognize uh, the positive upside of stuff like this, which is, as you've just said, Maz, you know, that British talent gets a bigger Bigger spot. I mean, it's it is an inconvenient fact, I think. For without wanting to sound too contentious or combative here, it's an inconvenient fact for a lot of wrestling fans that there's truth in what WWE say that it is the quote unquote big leagues because that's where you get the biggest audiences. It's where you get the most exposure. It's where most people are more like more people are likely to come to know your name, you know. Um, and as well as as promotions like NJPW have been doing quite deservedly so over recent years, and it's great to see them getting that success, they're still a long, long way off from being considered to be on the same level as something that is is ingrained in the pop culture consciousness as WWE is. Um, so absolutely, it's, I imagine, the destination, especially NXT right now. I mean, that's part of the problem of NXT success is it's become this, and I was writing about this in the column, it's become such a, a destination promotion because of its success that it's obviously attracting a lot of talent which only again further exacerbates the issues on the main roster with the excessive talent there so um but yeah i mean i think people easily overlook the fact that wwe have got working arrangements with some british indie promotions like progress wrestling that's going to be beneficial for those promotions as well um you know and and the fact that they showed the promoters of progress and of i think icw or something on on one of the uk tourneys that they've done and stuff they've openly recognized these promotions exist and that's going to turn certain wwe fans on to watching their product you know so it's it's con it's actually conducive to to the british indie circuit rather than a negative thing i think and there's there's obviously concerns about you know um talent signing exclusive contracts and stuff and that's going to be a situation that develops over the next few years we'll see what happens there but um you know i'm more inclined to believe the word of the guys who are working the circuit than the word of the fans who are watching it first of all uh, is what i would say to that um so ultimately i think it's i think it's proven to be a very very positive thing this expansion into the uk for fans for wrestlers for the british wrestling scene you know I, the british wrestling scene is in a very very healthy place no, indeed, and, and probably never in, in, in so much a health place, because, of course, what NXT UK does is it allows people to kind of look into the histories of these guys and go, oh, OK, this person was in progress. Yes. Well, I'll check out some progress. Or, oh, this person was ICW. I'll check out some ICW. And, you know, and I think that's what's really cool about it. And I think, you know, most level-headed British wrestling fans, you know, or should I say, like, fans of the British wrestling circuit, 
um, have welcomed this. And I think if you know, we had uh, we were guests on Imp's podcast with um, with Leaf and Imp and Leaf are both you know um, heavily into the British indie circuit, and and they were nothing but positive about NXT UK and excited that a wider audience was going to see these guys get a platform. So, you know, I see nothing but good in it really. It's also worth saying that the NXT UK Tag Team Championships are two of the most beautiful looking championships I think I've ever seen. And I look forward to uh, look forward to seeing who uh, who wins those, of course. Um, all right, so I guess maybe should we do maybe a, a, another another talking point or, or two before we uh, before we go? Um, let's talk about the Universal Championship. I think you you can't really um, <laughs> yeah you can't really get away from that as a narrative in, in in 2018. It's been something that I think has you know um, dominated the first half of the year certainly, and and, and now he's as kind of since Reigns has. Um, has unfortunately had to step away has now sort of come back into it's almost like the the year kind of began and ended with that kind of strife over the uh the brock lesnar experience um but yeah if we if we kind of cast our minds back to um the road to wrestlemania of course nakamura goes after um aj styles which means of course that the elimination chamber match was for the shot at the Universal title and inevitably, um, to, to much derision, uh, Roman Reigns won to set up um, mm. what at that time, uh, of mm. course, was, was only Reigns v Lesnar 2. Um, <laughs> it would subsequently become a lot more matches than that, wouldn't it? Um, Night of WrestleMania, though. Um, Matt, did you watch live? WrestleMania. I can't even remember, to be honest. It's. Oh, I think I did. It's WrestleMania. Oh um, no, I was in Turkey, wasn't I? I was on my way back from Turkey. I watched it the next day. So, so Plan and I were watching live, of course, and I posted a kind of infamous, like ten or eleven tweet rant about the end of WrestleMania, um, which Plan then just read out on AfterShock, and um, it was, it was really, I think, everyone was kind of like able to tolerate Roman Reigns and, and Brock Lesnar as the main event of WrestleMania so long as it was the end of it and it's like right crown Roman Reigns and be done with it like maybe people you know don't like Roman Reigns as much as you'd like them to but you've been trying to do this for two years now so let's just get it over with right let's just crown the guy get it done Lesnar can not come back we'll have a full-time champion and then it was the most bizarre experience like seeing Lesnar pin him it was surreal, wasn't it? Well, not just. Well, the thing is, not just pin him. That was the thing. He he absolutely dominated Roman Reigns. For the, it was like a suplex city match, through and through, in in every sense of the word. Like he made Roman Reigns look out to be the biggest chump. And this was this was after, I don't know if you guys remember, but for like three weeks in a row, like the three weeks leading up to WrestleMania on Raw, Roman would come out and he'd call out Brock Lesnar and get beat up by Brock Lesnar. And then the next week he came out and he called out Brock Lesnar and got beat up by Brock Lesnar. And then he came out the next week, called out Brock Lesnar, got beat up by Brock Lesnar. Then WrestleMania happens and he gets beat up by Brock Lesnar and beaten by Brock Lesnar. And you sort of laughed. I mean, it was just, it remains flabbergasted that they spent so long and, and put so much into this at the expense of making a number of other uh, male wrestlers into megastars. You know, they could have had Ambrose beat him. They didn't. Ambrose would have been made. They could have had Joe beat him. They didn't. Joe would have been made. They could have had Strowman beat him. They didn't. Strowman could have been made. You know, even go past WrestleMania to SummerSlam, you could have had Rollins beat him, and they didn't. 
and Rollins would have been made. You know, so that I mean, there's four straight off the top of my head. You could even maybe include AJ Styles from Survivor Series last year in that list as well, which is five. You know, and, and they didn't. They passed it up and they passed it up and they passed opportunity because it's got to be Roman, it's got to be Roman, it's got to be Roman. And this is even if you decide to discount the fact they've already had Goldberg beaten twice. Um, it's got to be Roman, it's got to be Roman, it's got to be Roman. And then the came, time came to do it and they went, uh, maybe not. It's like we've made you suffer through two years building up to this. Now we're going to make you suffer through a year of us actually doing this. Um, and it got to the point where, you know, then they did the cage match at Greatest Royal Rumble. <laughs> quote unquote controversial finish um, uh, and then they had Roman Reigns going around for, for six months basically crying and whining and bitching about how he should be the champion but wasn't which is you know last time I checked not really what you want your top good guy to be doing but that's what he was doing and, and they tried to work in the whole the corporations against me angle again which was which was absolute nonsense because um, that worked so successfully the first time in 2016 um, and then it gets to SummerSlam and mercifully, they keep it short at SummerSlam. It was, to be fair, relatively well produced at SummerSlam. But Roman beats him, and by this point, nobody gives a shit. So you've gone through all of this stuff, through two years of nonsense. You've passed up so many opportunities to make big stars, to, to obsess over this Roman Reigns thing. Then you fail to pull the trigger when it time comes, and when you finally do, it's just become it's nothing. It's just like it's 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 nothing. It's a non-event. Nobody cares. So what have you achieved from all of that? Well, you've managed to basically just destroy any prospect of having an interesting full-time roster by the time Lesnar goes away. So well done. <laughs> it was. It was what was. I think what was bizarre about it was that SummerSlam did feel like a massive palate cleanser. Um, because you know, Greatest Rumble. We did a podcast that a live podcast that night, um, and. It, it was again it was surreal like they went with the sort of the big show froze McMahon through the cage finish in 2018 and it was like why would you do that and then they botched it that's the other thing is that quite yeah <laughs> like actually Reigns won the match <laughs> if you actually watched it back um so it was it was truly truly odd times and I think the thing is is that then we were looking forward to having a full-time universal championship didn't he face Finn Balor on like his first um he you know, his, yeah, his I mean, first night as champ and it was all looking really promising and it was it was I mean that post like you say SummerSlam felt very palate cleansing particularly because across the show they got the production right that night Raw happens the next night. Roman's full-time champion, like you say, first thing he does is give Balor a, a universal time match, one of the best TV matches of the year. Uh, and that's topped off with Strowman going to cash in. Then you got the Shield uh, coming out to save Roman. And it was, a, I mean, the last sort of, uh, I guess, 40, 50 minutes of that episode of Raw were phenomenally exciting and exhilarating. And, it, you know, it was just so much fun to see it again. Um, and then I guess where maybe you were headed next, Mav, is, of course, Hell in a Cell happens. And guess who pops back up again? Yeah, you know, it, it, again, it was one of those surreal things, wasn't it? Because you assume that he's gone, but he's it, it, becoming increasingly like a zombie. Um, it's like, you know, you, you, he just keeps coming for you. You can't kill him. It's like, you know, those bits in The Walking Dead where it's like, oh, no, you think it's gone? Oh, no, here it's still crawling away after you. And, it, and I think, I mean, I was someone that liked the ending to the show purely from an aesthetic point of view. I'd rather it had been Brock Lesnar, but I think it was a, a fun end to the show as these things go. Um, and I assumed that it was just, again, Saudi money paying yeah. for this one-off. Um, and then, of course, bizarrely, like, 
you know, he ends up winning the title again. And it's just kind of like, where, where do you, where do you go from there? And especially if you're Braun Strowman, like what must you be thinking? Like, again, well, you're, you're somebody who is, that's just like, it's a mini case of Roman Reigns. Like this is a guy they really wanted to succeed. They built him up, they built him up, they built him up. And every time they've had an opportunity to do something to cement Braun Strowman, they pull back from it. And the last time to further a storyline with Baron Bloody Corbin. Well, I mean, that that in itself is just like, I mean, people in 10 years time are going to be writing columns about 2018 and, and, and saying like, how bizarre. Yeah, Baron Corbin was GM elect and cost Braun Strowman a universal title match. Like, it's, it's, it's so weird. And the thing is, they're now, I mean, they're sort of, they're, they're, what they're going through at the minute is kind of them reaping the rewards of, of what they've sown for, you know, the last few years because they put all their eggs in the Roman Reigns basket to the point where nobody cared anymore. Then Roman Reigns, they passed up so many opportunities with other guys. Roman Reigns, very sadly, you know, unfortunately isn't available at the minute. And they've got nothing, you know, as a result of that. And it's it's kind of like this is what this is what you set yourselves up for over the last few years because of your short sightedness, because of your obsession with one guy in this one this one project that that has been going on now for four years, which is an insane amount of time, which is the equivalent amount of time that Austin was on top the entire time he was on top from say ninety seven to two thousand and one or ninety eight to two thousand two. You know, Austin's entire run, Roman's still taking that time and you're still taking that time to try and, quote, unquote, cement him as the top guy. You know, and but, but what I'd say is this, especially with the Universal Championship as well, which they might as well just completely get rid of at this point um, because it's been that much of a disaster. But they've, they've now got, because of Roman Reigns' situation, obviously uh, wish him all the best, but he's not around at the minute. Um, because he's off battling leukemia. We don't know when he's going to be coming back. Um, you know, they're in a situation now where because of that and because of the difficulty they've had with ratings and live attendances and because of the situation now where they've said, OK, we need to try and do something to really turn things around. This is one of those moments where they need to allow someone the freedom to be able to step up like CM Punk did in 2011 because, you know, they gave him the opportunity with that microphone. They said, go out there and just air your grievances. That's the kind of opportunity they need to give to someone. I don't care who it is at this point. I mean, obviously, I want it to be Seth, but whoever it is, you know. I mean, they, they kind of did last week, didn't they? It was kind of a mini pipe bomb, wasn't it? Yeah, but you could tell it was still all scripted. What I mean yeah. is to just yeah. give someone the opportunity to go out there and just do something. You know, I, don't, I, yeah. I have no idea what it is. Just give them free reign to do something. Um cut a promo or whatever but it's because this is the kind of environment that we're in now where you've got an absentee top guy you know you've got this Brock Lesnar situation everyone wants to be over there's there's a sense of everybody wanting something to change in the air these are the circumstances that are conducive to really genuinely turning a corner and, and allowing the product to get back to a really positive place for an extended period of time but they've got to allow someone to have the platform to be able to catalyze that or alternatively, they've got to have the balls to get fully, and I mean fully genuinely behind somebody in, in the most unapologetic fashion, someone full-time, someone contemporary, and put them over Brock Lesnar or put them over whoever, and then to stick with them, to follow through with it. I mean, I remain so infinitely annoyed that they had Seth beat Triple H at WrestleMania two years ago, and here we are two years down the line, you wouldn't think they'd ever even wrestled. 
Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? You know, even when they do let someone go over, you know, they just reset back to it. It's like, well, actually, you know, you might have won, but Brock's still Brock, you know. Yeah, quite. And, and, and you know, it, it, it's been all Brock. The only people that have been able to touch Brock were, you know, the other guys that are in that situation. You know, you, you, Triple H is your gold, gold, for fuck's sake, Goldberg. Goldberg, yeah. You know, who, you know, totally squashed Kevin Owens into the bargain, you know, I mean, oh, I don't, don't yeah. want to bad about I mean, 2016. <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's a, but it is a year, isn't it, where if you look at those that, we've always talked about 20, uh, 2008, right? Um, uh, but actually, if you look at 2013, it's, it's going the same way. So, you know, if you look at 2008, you know, um, Miz, to an extent, has made his way out of it, Um you know, but obviously you look at Ziggler, but then, you know, what happened, um, you know, what happened to, uh, to, to Miz and Ziggler at, at Crown Jewel? Like, Miz got subbed out for Shane McMahon, who then beat <laughs> Dolph Ziggler. Like, you know, so the class of 2008 are still, I wrote this in a column, are still having further indignities heaped on them, like, years and years after the fact. Um you know, I can't it's wait to see. I, I still, I can't wait to see what happens with this Drew McIntyre push. Like he's about to go straight, you know, headlong into a glass ceiling again. I can see it now. Um, so, I mean, that was. I mean, to be fair, that was evident from the minute they decided to start his push by having him lose to Dolph Ziggler. I mean, well, at least it's two thousand eight on two thousand. <laughs> it's two thousand eight on two thousand eight crime, which I find acceptable. But um, you know, I, and then of course, then they started this thing with uh, you know with Ziggler and Balor arguing about whether they should help each other in matches or not, which is also a bit odd. Um, but yeah, if you look at the class of 2013, if you like, um, you've got Bray Wyatt, who again seems to be getting yet another reboot. It's like you know you get that notification on Lords of Pain, don't you? Like Bray Wyatt deletes Twitter history, issues cryptic tweets, cryptic and, he tweets. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just like, what the hell is this going? Where, where's this going? But obviously, like, he's been in a tag team, a sort of joke tag team with Matt Hardy for most of the year. And then, of course, Matt leaves the company again. Bray's now in, in limbo. Rusev, God knows what Rusev's doing at the moment. I mean, he had, a t- he had a world title match this year. But, like, again, then he just sort of seeps away into nothingness. Um, you know, as we said, um, they had chances to, to really capitalise on Seth, which they've not they've not taken. They had chances to really capitalise on Dean, which they've not taken. They, as we talked about already with Roman, you know, no one can deny he's, he's headlined all those WrestleManias, but no one can remember any of the matches. Um, yeah, it's like they have to keep doing it again. Because, yeah. oh, well, let's find this one again. Uh, like, yeah. Don't work. Don't work with Triple H. Let's do it with Undertaker. No, so, well, let, let's I mean, I think, that. I think Undertaker come back. I mean, that, that I, I can't remember. I, I think you both made the point, to be fair, in the past. I seem to remember it coming from Mazza, particularly, though. Uh, uh, oh, I, I don't know. But anyway, we've, we've spoken on the show in the past uh, about Roman's WrestleMania main events always being against these part-timers and how different it may have been had they been against, you know, if you'd have had Roman v. Seth and Roman v. Dean or Roman v. Brain, those spots, and how that could have helped Roman a lot more as well, but instead of him being paired against these guys that no one's really interested in And that can't go anymore. That's the other thing. The Undertaker yeah, well, match was, was basically hanging him out to dry because, because the guy had no hip. You know, yeah, um, and then and the, comes back after hip replacement surgery this year and looks even worse. <laughs> Quite, I mean, so I, I think you know when you, I mean, I mean, also Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens have had horrendous years. 
um, not helped by injury, of course, but, but, you know, they were made to look like an absolute joke by AJ Styles. You know, like they can't even beat him when they're tagging together in a handicap match, which is, you know, that's that's horrendous booking by anybody's standards. And that that's before they moved over a bloody roar. And, you know, that Strowman Owens feud, my word. Oh, yeah, I mean, nope. could not nope. have jobbed him out harder if they tried, could they? Don't forget Sami Zayn and Bobby Lashley as well. With oh, my God. Please, why remind us of that? <laughs> oh my god! Well, I mean, this is the thing, isn't it? It's like so you've got this again, and yet another generation of talent. I mean, I don't even know if you can argue they're more, you know, like that they're more. Ta- they are more talented than the 20, 2008 um, you know, generation. And and yet again, they're they're just washing it, washing it away. Finn Balor, I'm not the greatest Finn Balor fan in the world, but again. What, what, yeah, exactly. what has he done in two years on the roster? What has he done? He's had some good matches here and there, um, but I, I couldn't, I couldn't tell you about any of them, frankly. Like what you know, none of his main roster matches stand out at all because he's somebody that again they've been completely, completely inconsistent with. Um, it's it, it's it's incredibly frustrating. And then of course, like you said earlier, Maz, they go <laughs> they they go and sign. I just. I'm just going to say this. The Lords of Pain article just popped up. Finn Balor reportedly scheduled to receive a push on Raw. Well, there you go. Yeah. I mean, it's like, yeah, but it doesn't mean anything because there's no champion. Do you well, know what I'm... Yeah, oh, exactly. Push it. Yeah. And, th- and that's what I was saying earlier. You know, I guess even if you don't give one guy a platform, this environment now could not be more perfect for them to finally just unapologetically go all in with their full-time talent. And I don't want to hear people tell me that there's no big stars anymore and no one knows how to grab the brass ring anymore because it's all bullshit. It's yeah. all self-evident bullshit. And if and it's so obvious that if you can't see it, then I can't show to you how much bullshit it is because it just is, you know. And if they just got behind these guys, not one success in this company's history was ever a guaranteed success before they took a risk on them. Not one of them. The one thing they all have in common was they were all a gamble. And, you know, some of them don't pay off, but there were, the risk is worth taking for the ones that do, because you're not telling me that out of that entire main full-time roster, there's not one guy that you would take a risk on that's not going to be able to turn it into a success. Of course they're going to be able to. It's like I said earlier, look at what they've all achieved while dealing with all these horrific restrictions that they've had to compete with. And then think about what guys like Kevin Owens would be able to achieve if they gave him a live mic and not a script and said, go out there and just cut promos. And think about what guys like Seth and Dean could achieve if they were given the creative control over the direction of their feuds with each other rather than having to pander to what the script writers are giving them or what Vince has given them. And think about what Roman could achieve if he was allowed to go out there and just speak his mind about the way he's been treated over the last few years by fans and the company alike. You know, I mean, this is the point. Just get behind them. Take the goddamn risk. I miss the Vince McMahon who bet the house on WrestleMania. And instead, we've got this, this craven Vince McMahon who was afraid to do anything. Well, I mean, the other thing is, like, it's clear to anyone that, that Brock Lesnar's Universal title run, at least latterly, has not been popular. And to go back there, I mean, we talked about this with the Raw thing as well, um, or well, the TV stuff, we started talking about this at the top of the show. That, like, you can't say, right, we've, we hear you fans, we hear you fans, like, Raw, it's not been very good, we're going to take back control, we're going to bring up new faces, okay, fine. And then have Brock Lesnar as Universal Champion. You like the juxtaposition of those two things is like completely ridiculous. 
Yeah, quite. I mean, I saw someone on Twitter, I can't remember who it was, um, uh, tweet out, you know, if, if they were serious about doing this, what they ought to have is just pay Brock Lesnar his payday to come and lose the title on an episode of Raw. I mean, Seth mentioned, you know, um, he's not had a match on Raw in, in however many, some ridiculous number of years it's been. 16 years or something so you know they forced Brock to come out defend his universal title and someone beats him for it there and then you know I mean that's that's changed and you've got a full-time champion in place and then Shane turns around and says actually we're not doing automatic rematches anymore so you can pack your bags and bugger off but of course they're not going to do that because for some reason the business genius that is Vince thinks it's a good idea to pay Brock Lesnar a whole boatload of money for him to not show up and work I mean I wish my boss would do that his, 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 you know, six, however many million quid a year for you. And by the way, you only have to turn up to work uh, twice a year. And when you do turn up to work, you don't really need to try like that. I wish I had that job. Well, I mean, well, this is why he keeps, this is why he keeps signing the contracts, though, isn't it? They, they, you know, <laughs> he like he has them, he has them over the ba- over a barrel because uh, Vince thinks he needs the star power, which he doesn't because he has it on his own roster. But, but like you said, like. It's interesting that I think a lot of it is paranoia about the fact that he's not going to have Cena seemingly at all um, for a good while while Cena tries to establish himself in Hollywood. So, you know, Mm -hmm. I think think that's kind of where it's going, you know, and when Cena does show up, he looks like a sort of like scary JBL cosplay. And, And when Cena does show up, he couldn't look more disinterested in being there if he tried. Like, it's painfully obvious he has no interest in being there anymore, despite what he might otherwise pretend to, to say. You know, but again, you know, Cena wasn't a guaranteed bet when they put the house on him. They went with him and he succeeded. You know, yeah. like, I don't, I don't, I don't understand where this, where this idea came from, this philosophy came from, that so, somehow someone has to become a megastar without the company backing them to be that. So a question I was going to, I meant to ask you both. Um, had Roman Reigns not had to step away. Do you think we'd have seen Brock Lesnar? Not I this think, soon. I, I think we'd have seen him for Mania season. I don't know. I don't really care either, to be honest. I mean, it's just thing which, I mean, it's, it's bothered me since the time. Um, because, you know, obviously Reigns was, um, you know, seemingly, you know, in a, in a feud with, um, you know, in a feud with Strowman that that was, you know, was clearly going somewhere, um, and obviously then they were they were pushing McIntyre hard in the background. Um, he had this sort of shared universe stuff with the Shields and the Dogs of War and all the rest of it, and they, it seemed like they had a, a, a concrete plan, sort of heading to TLC. I mean, you know, Could I'm, be I'm, a concrete plan. Oh, oh, something for 2019, no. <laughs> Um, but but they did seem to like not be going in that direction, and then it did seem awfully convenient that at the time when Reigns had to step away, that was actually no. I guess he showed up while Reigns was still there, though. Having said that, but maybe they knew something. Can I just? I'm sorry to interrupt you, Matt. Can I just say that? Mm-hmm. So I've just picked up the article that Maz mentioned about Finn Balor reportedly getting a push, um, and. And this is what it says, believe it or not. The planned push for Balor is coming at a time when WWE needs top heels and top baby faces due to roster depth issues. <laughs> Good one. Well, actually, in fairness, we did we did talk about um, about Raw the other week, didn't we? And, and said that um, 
you know, because of the injuries to people like Owens and Zane, it did feel like the top of the Raw roster was a little bit thin. But, but you know, um, I, I take your overall point that they've got like a, a roster of 173 people. And they just they just need to, you know, if they like you say, if the roster depth's a bit thin at the top, they just need to maybe use some of their full time talent at the top. Oh, I mean, that's the problem, isn't it? The problem is he fed everyone to bloody Lesnar. So, you know, and you've had to redo everyone again. And, you know, that, that's that's your problem. They fall off, fall off back to the bottom of the pile. And you've got, uh, you know, and you're, you're almost better being where Seth is, just, you know, just well, underneath that radar, you know, well, where he's got that's what makes him the perfect candidate right now, though, isn't it? You know, he's he's had this hot year. He's been sort of untainted at largely, to be fair, from the beginning. He's kind of he's only really had the one running with Brock that obviously ended with a sort of no contest with Undertaker. So they've kind of got this this weird situation where they've got a guy who's the, who's a who's you know he's not been sort of tainted with past experiences against Brock. He's not been beaten by Brock one on one at any point. You know, and you can easily work that into a situation where Seth goes out and gets a win over Brock, and then and then you can start from that point. You can start to rehab not just that Universal Championship because you think you know Seth, the year he's had with the IC title. I mean, you know, Seth Rollins is is the guy who got the Intercontinental Championship back into two. Um, I mean, I know they didn't close out TLC, but it was the last men's match on the roster. Two two men's main events on pay per view for the first time since Brett did it back in 1992. I'm not saying he's the only reason it got to that point, but obviously he was the incumbent champion when it happened. Um, and you you think about the incredible year he's had with incredible matches with the, that Intercontinental title. The Universal title, even though it isn't even a tenth of the age of the IC title, is very much in dire need of the same treatment for a year. So that's proven he can do it with one championship, so he's the perfect candidate in that regard. But also the fact that you've got this very natural situation with his history with Brock, where they've only had one one-on-one encounter that ended in a no contest, where you can easily have Seth beat Brock, it not look weird because he's never been beaten by Brock before, and then you can start from that point by matching, you know, <laughs> transferable heat, but by by pitting people against setting competitive matches, and you basically just retcon the entire situation in one in one go. But they have to commit to it now because otherwise it's it's you know it's not going to work and then when reigns comes back you've got an absolute perfect situation there as well to, to solidify those two guys as the top two names of their generation which i dare say they kind of you know maybe already are but you really need to sort of underline the point and cement it for a lot of people yeah otherwise you know it, it's a lost generation again it is Oh, yeah, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because we've said before, the three Shield guys, you know, they are they are the ones that have, that have um, I guess, you know, unlike people like Owens and Zayn, you could at least say the three the three Shield guys have been have been mostly handled as as top guys, you know, all the way along. Um, but it, it's just a shame they haven't had that sort of era defining um, ability to close out a mania against each other in some combination. I think that's that's quite obviously what they're missing, isn't it? It is, you know, um, and it's fate is kind of, you might have thought that, that was perhaps um, a, a strong possibility uh, for this year's main year. I think probably it wouldn't have happened um, knowing now that they were intending on turning Dean Heal and stuff. I think maybe the time wouldn't have been quite right, but you would think that had Reigns not had to have le- left, that maybe that Dean Heal turn wouldn't have happened 
until it wouldn't have happened like, so soon. Yeah, no, yeah, it would have happened around about, around about now. Would be, I guess, you know, either run, either yeah, going into the rumble or coming out of the rumble. Well, when, yeah. well, no, when did they make their debut? TLC, I think it would have been the ideal pay per view to do it, wouldn't they? Have some sort of scenario where he cost them a, cost them a, a big six man or something. But the the point I was driving at is, of course, fates intervene. So we're not going to get it this year. We may not even get it for a couple of years now. At some point, though, it feels like a match that has to happen at a WrestleMania. It just, you know, Murphy's Law, it feels like one of those things that because it could happen, it's it's surely going to. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm putting all my hope back in the uh, AJ Seth um, thing now. I think AJ needs it more than anything else. You know, I think AJ versus Seth for the Universal title at WrestleMania will will be great for Seth, will be great for AJ, and will be great for that title. What, are we assuming, then, that there's going to be unification uh, going on? No, I don't think it I'm not saying I think it will happen. I'm just saying, you know, I think that's that, that would be my ideal situation at this moment. You know, I think, I think it would be a good time to move AJ. You know, he, he's done that side, bring him back to Raw, have him have a reset, because he's, you know, he's dull right now. AJ's yeah. dull. He needs something. He needs a little, you know, he's res- he's wrestling great matches all the time. That's fine. But he needs an injection of uh, of make me care again, big time. And, and you know, Brian with the heel turn has, you know, grab- grabbed it with both hands over there. And he's, he's doing fantastic work. So, you know, I, I think AJ needs to switch to Raw now. And, yeah, I, you know. They're not going to drag out. You wouldn't have thought they'd drag out Dean and Dean and Seth to Mania. You know, even if it's for the IC title, I think I'd take it. You know, I would right like now. to think at this point that that Seth is a very, very, very strong likelihood he's going to be wrestling for a world title at, at WrestleMania. I don't think. I feel like the Dean feud is probably going to get resolved maybe shortly ahead of Royal Rumble. Or that the Royal Rumble itself will will be sort of the the final resolution of it for the time being. I wouldn't. Although that being said, I mean that you know they always struggle to find something for if Seth were to win the Rumble, for example, they always find something. They always struggle to find something for those guys to do through February, which is a large reason I think a lot of the time Rumble winners tend to struggle these days, unless they're part timers. Um, so maybe it's the perfect kind of uh, place to sort of resolve all of that in between Royal Rumble and and WrestleMania. Um, I mean, ultimately, what I really want is, as I've said before on the show, is for Seth and Dean to do a Sean and Bulldog and go coast to coast in the Rumble against each other and resolve their issues that way. It seems like Charlotte and Becky are on. Uh, uh, so there's a good, uh, you know, that'd be a, a. Let's save that for the prediction show. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so it does seem like we are veering into predictions. So we'd better get out of here before we actually ruin our uh, show in a fortnight's time. Um, in the meantime, I need to go and listen to last year's predictions and see how um, stupid we actually were, which is always a fun exercise. Um, and of course, next week, guys, we will be uh, bringing you the Duckies, our, our annual silly awards show, which is always a good time. Um, so make sure you tune in to that. And as for the rest of LP Radio shows, they are all, as always, available to download from the same place that you get us, uh, including, of course, Plans uh, spin off show, uh, Sports Entertainment is dead. Uh, is it Doc coming up? Yep, this next week I will be uh, having Doc on the show and we will be debating our contrasting uh, views on how best to receive pro wrestling as a fan. I feel like I should listen to that with a crush helmet on. 
Um, <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, um, yeah, if you missed Doc, which of course you will have done, um, then that's a good opportunity to hear his voice again and, and hear him talk about pro wrestling, uh, which is always, always, always worth doing um so until uh, we're here with you next week guys uh, have a really good week have a really good christmas if you celebrate it of course and um if not just have a nice time anyway and we'll see you next week at first commonwealth bank we understand that many of the local businesses that make our community so special are facing uncertain times That's why right now we're doing something to help local businesses with a chance to win $10,000 to use any way you need to take care of your business. For entry forms and official rules, visit fcbanking.com slash giveaway. You could win $10,000 for your business on us. No account necessary. First Commonwealth Bank. Member FDIC. 